may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, though I grew up with uh, the folk masses of post-Vatican II Roman Catholicism and Episcopalianism, I have come to love hymns and hymnals. We didn't have too many of those in those circles when I was growing up. But, you know, as if, you, if you don't know, I am a musician, but so for a musician, a pastor, and a lover of theology, what could be more fun than cracking open a thick volume of Christian poetry and music and just exploring the riches of our heritage of, of Christian music and theology and poetry? One of my favorite 18th century hymns, uh, sadly omitted in our 1940 hymnal, is Come Thou Font of Every Blessing by Robert Robertson. I was actually really surprised to find out it wasn't in our hymnal. I just assumed it would be, but, uh, but it is not. Um, but that's okay. There, that, that's the way any hymnal goes. Uh, and and this, this hymn, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing, is a hymn that extols God's grace even in the light of our tendency to wander away from God. So take, for example, the third verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Notice who's doing the verbs in the hymn. God's doing all the main verbs. He's the one who binds the wandering heart like a fetter with his grace. God seals the wandering heart for himself and for his worship. And this is a key aspect of the gospel, that when it comes to the gospel, God is doing the verbs. God is the one who brings in the wanderer. God is the one who does these verbs in spite of our sinful tendency to stray. So in today's collect, we do address God as the one who brings in the wanderer. We prayed, Almighty God, who showest to them that are in error the light of the truth, to the intent that they may return into the way of righteousness. Well, this is speaking to a particularly Christian problem. Despite being born again, despite having the gift of the Holy Spirit speaking to us through word and sacrament, we can nevertheless fall into error and wander away from righteousness. The pagan, the unbeliever, the non-Christian can't return to the way of righteousness because he was never on that way in the first place. We're talking about Christians here. But God's grace... God's grace is such that it sheds the light of his truth in our hearts and draws in the wanderer. We know from the Gospels that even the apostles wandered from time to time. So in today's Gospel passage, Jesus is preparing them for his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. And as is often the case, the apostles don't quite understand what our Lord is saying. So please turn in your Bibles to John 16, beginning at the 16th verse. John 16, 16. And this can be found on page 173 in your prayer book. Page 173. Jesus said to his disciples, A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. 
So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus is speaking to them at the Last Supper on the night in which he would be betrayed. In St. Matthew's account, Jesus tells the, the apostles, You will fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. That striking the sheep and the shepherd will be scattered, or that striking the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, reminds us a lot of what we talked about last week in the in the in the Good Shepherd narratives. And of course, this is what exactly happened. Jesus is arrested, and the apostles flee. By the time we get to Easter Sunday, we find them hiding out in fear. There's no faith. There's no belief. There is only sorrow and dread. Two of them would later say to the Lord, not realizing they were speaking to the Lord, they said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. As far as they were concerned, their hopes had been dashed. But Jesus, nevertheless, he seeks them out. He restores them to faith and brings them joy. Just as he had said, the Lord had returned and everything would be all right. But we know, of course, this is not the end of the story. There is more to what's going to happen here. Soon Jesus would depart again. This time he would ascend into heaven. And soon there would be more waiting. First, they would be waiting for the descent of the Holy Ghost. And then secondly, they would, they would wait for the return of Christ. That first wait would be ten days. That second wait, well, probably a lot longer than any of them expected. But in the meantime... In, this, in the time where Jesus is with them while he's risen, the disciples, like all of us, needed further instruction. St. Luke begins the Acts of the Apostles by saying that Jesus, quote, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus was again preparing them. Jesus was shining the light of his truth onto them. So I mentioned two weeks ago that uh, part of this post-Easter season is learning to live in light of the resurrection, learning to live as Christians. We spend the 40 days between Easter and the Ascension revisiting our time of catechesis. After the address, we prayed in the collect, grant unto all those who were admitted into the fellowship of Christ's religion that they may avoid those things that are contrary to their profession and follow all such things as are agreeable to the same through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we need God's grace to bring our wandering hearts back to him, 
We also need God's grace to avoid the things that are against our profession of faith. We live in light of God's grace, but we must never use that grace as an excuse to sin. The law of God still exposes the lingering darkness in our hearts. It still shows us how we are supposed to live. It still drives us to Christ. That's what the law is here for, those three things. And so we need to let the light of God's word show us those hidden sins, those areas of life that are contrary to our Christian profession of faith, so that we can repent and turn back to God. Sometimes that is easier said than done, right? We all know that the things that are contrary to the Christian life are often very seductive. They're very tempting to our flesh. The old man often still desires them even after we've been walking with the Lord for a really long time. Well, an important key to overcoming such temptation is to remember who you are in Christ. And St. Peter addresses this in the beginning of our epistle and uh, the, the couple of verses that precede it. So please turn to, Saint, to 1 St. Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 9, which is two verses before um, the passage in our prayer book. St. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep to your conduct, and that's in the King James it says conversation, but the word conduct is... Uh, is, is, is really what the King James meant by conversation. We think of conversation just as speaking, but in, in the sixth, 17th century, it was a lot wider than that. So keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Though we had been enemies of God, though we had been, we had been not a people, no mercy people, the blood of Christ has bought us. Now we're God's people. We're his chosen people, a sanctified people. We're his flock, and he is our shepherd, like we talked about last week. When looking at our former state, I can't help but think that uh, St. Peter must have been alluding to the prophet Hosea. If you remember the story, God told Hosea to marry the town harlot as a living picture of God's troubled marriage to Israel. When Hosea's wife conceived, and uh, the subtext is that they probably weren't Hosea's kids. When Hosea's wife conceived, God told Hosea to name the two of the children, No Mercy and Not My People. Because of Israel's sin, God had said that he would no longer have mercy on Israel, no longer forgive her. He says, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And when we look at that in the light of the rest of the Old Testament, I mean, that, those are sobering words. But that wasn't the end of the story. Just a couple verses later, despite the marriage problems between God and his people, God himself 
promised that he would fix his people's unfaithfulness. So Hosea 1, beginning at verse 10, we read, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Sons of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. That head is the promised Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he has added to the family of Israel his chosen from all nations, increasing his sheepfold to the point that they would indeed outnumber the sands of the sea. As the children's song says, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. You see, God uses his redeemed, chosen, holy people. He uses you and me to glorify his name among the pagans, to declare his lordship. Our very existence as the church is a witness that the world, the flesh, and the devil have been defeated, not by conquering armies bearing the sword, but by the shed blood of the Lamb, the shed blood of the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And so we close with the, with the further words from Robertson's hymn. Here I raise my Ebenezer. That's a memorial, a memorial stone. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. And I hope by thy good measure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. And we say this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good words and glorify your Father who is in heaven.